This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. Just to let you know, we actually have a a few more chairs available at our 9 a.m. service. If anybody wants to switch services, that'd be great. Um, just to let you know, just get up a little bit earlier, especially those of you who have kids. You know they're up anyway. You might as well come to the 9. Just some parenting advice. Um, we are week three of our series that we have called Faith Supplements. Does anybody out there take any vitamins or supplements of any kind? Or maybe sometime a doctor has told you that you are deficient in some sort of element or something like that, and so they give you something to eat or some vitamins. Um, my wife is the food guru of our house. She likes to... And she, she, this I don't know what this means. She likes to... I would eat the same thing pretty much all of the time, but my wife, you know, she's a vegetarian. I'm not a vegetarian, and she has trained herself with an online book education about diet. I don't really care. So I just, no, when I'm saying I don't care, I care, but I just go with whatever she says. Whatever she says is good. And, um, you know, I like deli meat. Does anyone else out there like deli meat? Corned beef sandwich, one of the best meals in the world. Um, so the other day, a little while ago, I was in the grocery store. I was looking in the deli meat counter, and I hear my wife's voice in my brain, and it says, these things are full of nitrates. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't even know what nitrates are. But I'm upset at them because they are in these meats that I love. Um, and, and this is what we're looking at in this series, that there's a portion of scripture that is our, our jumping off point each week. Uh, the Apostle Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, this um, thing that we're looking at this morning is a letter that he wrote, and it's kind of the letter that he wrote at the end of his life. We see this in these verses, or at the end of these verses, and um, sort of Peter, Peter telling these other believers, hey, these things are really important to add to your faith, to supplement to your faith. And we think about the word supplement. Supplement means it enhances um, or it supplies a deficiency. Um, it adds to our faith. So we're looking at this portion of scripture here that Peter um, is talking about. So let's just read it together before we talk about it any further. Second Peter chapter 3. It's up on the screen if you don't have your Bible. It says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. As I always like to emphasize, we see here that Peter is telling us the things as it relates to God or our relationship with God um, gives us what we need for life, not just church services, not just on a Sunday or not whatever amount of time that we spend in a church building or defined by church services. What God gives us is what we need for our lives. Our relationship with God issues out for what you need right now in this season of life, whether you're single or married, whether you have children, you don't have children, empty nest or whatever the case may be, that God is helping you or is giving you help for your life right now. It says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
So he's comparing and contrasting our nature, our sinful nature, and a divine nature. So we know our own sinful nature has caused problems in our lives, and we made decisions that hurt us and hurt other people. And God doesn't want us to live in that sinful nature. He actually wants us to experience the divine nature, his nature. And he's given us promises. He's given us everything that pertains to life. So he wants us to lean and, and be um, conditioned by the divine nature of God. It says, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And this is where we got the idea for this series, to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying that we can actually have a relationship with Jesus. We can know God. We can be on our way to spending eternity with him. But the life that we're living right now can actually be ineffective or unfruitful. It wouldn't actually be producing something good. We wouldn't be effective in the season of life that we're living. And here's the reality that your life is actually very important. Every, every day that you have from today to when you breathe your last breath and you go to be with the Lord, your life is important. It's meaningful. It has impact. It has value. And this is what Peter is talking about, that we can actually have a relationship with God. Unless we're adding these things to our faith, that we can be sort of wasting our life. We could just be going through the motions and we could just be living a static and stagnant life if we're not doing here what the scripture is telling us. Verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fail. We put these qualities into practice. All of the, the list of things that Peter just listed for us, that we would do these things, not just hear about them, not just know about them, that we would actually integrate them into our lives. We would never fall. Do you like that idea? That we would never fall, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't be ruining our lives, that we would be adding these things to our lives so they would show up in a positive way in our lives. <clears throat> So we, uh, the first week we talked about faith, just establishing a foundation of what a life of faith looks like, just a, a small foundation. And then last week we talked about virtue. So if you missed either of those messages, you can go back and listen on our podcast or on our website or through our church app to catch up with where we are at now. But it's very important for us um, to realize, as we just said, that your life matters. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 12, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that then when they speak against you as evildoers, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, we as Christ followers, we are enamored with our beliefs, our belief systems, and then we differentiate our belief systems from other Christians. But here what Peter is telling us that we need to live honorable lives uh, with people who don't know God, who aren't in a relationship with God. And it says they will actually see our good deeds. They will see our good activities. They won't necessarily care about our beliefs. They might care about our beliefs if we live good lives. And this is what Peter is saying, that we would live an honorable life. 
And the, one of the ways that we are going to live an honorable life is doing these qualities that he said in Second Peter, that we would add virtue and knowledge and self-control and brotherly affection. Now, as we talk about these list of things in this series, it's always important to know and remember that we are doing these things, that we are obeying the word of God from this place of acceptance and love. That, uh, that, that religion says that I'll, I'll obey and I'll do something religious so that I might be accepted and then I might spend eternity with God. But the gospel tells us that we are accepted and we are loved. So from that place of love and acceptance, we are empowered by the Spirit of God to live out these things. As we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit will help us to live a virtuous life. And as we're going to be talking about today, we're going to be talking about knowledge, that God wants us to use the knowledge that we have and the knowledge that has been given to us, and the Holy Spirit will help us to apply this knowledge so that we can live effective, fruitful, and meaningful lives. So we all know that that knowledge is very important. The question is, how do we respond to knowledge? When knowledge comes our way, are, are we moving on in our lives in a good direction? We hear something, we hear some positive advice, we hear some, uh, some things to do maybe in relationships or some things to do in finances, some, some good practical advice, some knowledge in a certain area to make your life better, to make your career better. How do we respond to knowledge? The scripture tells us in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, it says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. Now, all of us at times in our lives, we do. We just reject knowledge. We hear things and, and depending on uh, sometimes the source, the source of the knowledge, maybe we don't like the person that's giving us the knowledge, so we reject the knowledge. Or we're maybe at a bad place in our lives. We're maybe either hurt or damaged or frustrated, and so we hear something good. But since we're in such an emotional state, we can't receive the knowledge and we can't respond well to knowledge. But the scripture says, and we know this is true, that certain people are destroyed in life because they just don't have certain knowledge. That knowledge is a very powerful thing. I, I know my wife and I and our family, we, we support a child uh, through World Vision. And she lives in this small village in the Philippines. And, you know, when we learned about this village um, originally, it's just amazing to me that knowledge that's been available in the world for now for hundreds of years you know as it relates to running water and electricity and different things like that there's just no application of that knowledge at different places in the developing world you're kind of like well this knowledge is available you should use this knowledge so we all know that knowledge is a very powerful thing but all knowledge has to be made personal for it to be powerful it has to be made personal for it to be powerful. What does that mean exactly? Well, there's two different areas where we, where we receive knowledge and we can apply knowledge. Just, you know, just simple informational knowledge, as I was just describing. Uh, we hear things about uh, maybe how to, to invest our money so that we have a certain amount of money when we retire. Just good information. And we should apply that information so that uh, when we retire, we're not a burden on our children, that we can support ourselves when, when we're retired. That's just one example of information. And so we, we can have all of these areas where we learn in information, but unless we actually take that information, believe it, and then put it into practice, 
It isn't actually meaningful for us unless we take it and know it and then do something about it. And the other area where um, information or knowledge becomes powerful when we make it personal is, is in, in relationships. Now, my wife is sitting over here, you know, and I can tell you that my wife is a certain age. I caught myself there. My wife is a certain age. She's younger than me. That's good news. She's younger than me. Can't you tell? Help me out, people. Doesn't she look younger than me? It's only nine months, so, you know. Um, and she's, she's American, and she's from Arizona, and she, she's very artistic in every sense of the word. She is, what is it, right or left brain? It's right brain. She's right brain, I'm left brain, marriage issues. Anyway, um, and she, you know, she likes to, she likes <laughs> art. I don't. But all of these things, like I could explain all of these things to you and you could have information about her. But unless you actually spent time with her and made that information personal, you wouldn't actually know Nicole. You would know something about Nicole, but you wouldn't actually know her. Now, as it relates to our relationship with God, this is what God wants us to have. God doesn't just want us to have information about him, just a general idea about his character and his nature. But in, as in the testimony that we heard this morning, that we know something about the character and nature of God, and we hear something from the scripture that God never leaves me, or forsakes me. In other words, God is with me all of the time. And unless we take that information and make it personal and make it meaningful for me, it's just words. It's just knowledge. Oh, he never leaves me or forsakes me. Oh, that's really sweet. It's a good idea. I'll study the Bible. No, we take it and we make it personal and then it becomes meaningful for us. So let's turn over to Romans chapter 12 and let's see what the scripture teaches us about these ideas. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you per- to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So all of us have a certain framework of thinking that's been given to us by our nuclear family, by our parents, whoever has raised us. Certain things have been given to us by culture, just information, knowledge, how to live, how to do certain things. But the scripture is telling us that we are supposed to be transforming our minds. In other words, getting knowledge from the scripture, knowledge from the scripture about God's way of doing things, God's thoughts. For marriage, God's thoughts for relationships, God's thoughts for my job, God's thoughts about my education. They were supposed to be changing the way we think. How are we going to change the way we think from knowledge, from God's word? That we would want the will of God in our lives. This is where this, these verses ended up. That we would be training ourselves or retraining ourselves, as it were, so that we could know what the will of God is. That we wouldn't just be thinking our way and just my way and just however I was brought up. No, that I want to change my thinking, transform my thinking by the word of God so that I could be living out the will of God in my life. Now, all of us know when we hear information, back to the Hosea scripture, we can be destroyed for lack of knowledge. But when we think about lack of knowledge, that's something we don't know. 
But here Romans is telling us about things that we hear that we need to be transformed by them or changed by them. Now, a lot of times for us, we, we aren't changed or we don't change when we hear certain information for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it is the source of the information. Sometimes if we know somebody too well and we're too close to them, we know all of their mistakes. We know all of their idiosyncrasies. We know all of their past, all of the things that they've done wrong. And then that person is being used by God to tell us stuff to change our lives. And sometimes we say no. We're like, I don't like the source. I know, God, you might be trying to get something to me, but you can't use that person because I know that that person is imperfect. Here's some news for you. Everybody's imperfect. So if we can't take knowledge from someone else, we're never going to be able to grow. We're never going to be transformed as it relates to the word of God. But God wants us to change and grow and be transformed so that we can experience his will in our lives. So how we hear what we hear is so important. The source of the information. The ground of our heart, as it were. Can you think back to a time in your life where maybe you thought you knew everything? You were probably 16. Does anyone remember a time when you were a teenager? You were like, I pretty much know everything already. And my parents have the audacity to try to tell me stuff. They should be coming to me for stuff because look at their hair. I can't listen to them because of their hair, people. And so what, what is an attitude like that, however old you might be if we have that attitude? What is that attitude? We, our, our heart is impenetrable. Nothing can actually get on the inside of us because we know everything or we think we know everything. And the reality is this, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't actually know. Has anyone experienced this? If you've done a little bit of learning, you learn something, you're like, man, there's so much actually I don't know. There's so many areas of life where I'm just completely ignorant. Even in your area of expertise, maybe for your career or your job, you know a lot of stuff. That there's people who are far beyond you, who are doing better work and, and different types of work in your field. And unless we can humble ourselves to hear those things, that knowledge for us will be useless. So Jesus talks to us in the Gospel of Mark about the conditions of our heart, the condition of our heart that's conducive to grow. So let's read here in Mark chapter 4. And let me just set up these verses for you. A little bit Jesus was preaching. And a lot of times as Jesus was preaching, he would preach in parables. In other words, he would put out an analogy or he would tell a story. And then he would be uh, having us to learn a truth from that story or, or from whatever he might be telling. So one day he's teaching and he's talking about, you know, seed and ground and all these different things. And his disciples are sitting there and they're taking notes and they're shaking their head and they're saying, amen, that's so good, Jesus. And afterwards, they're like, Jesus, we don't get it. Could you explain this to us, please? Uh, and so Jesus was with them privately. They had access to Jesus. So they asked him the question, could you explain to us this parable? And Jesus answers in verse 13. He says, and he said to them. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? 
So Jesus says all of his teaching hangs on understanding this one parable. This parable is so important for us to hear and understand and to accept all of the teachings of Jesus. We should want to know what this parable is all about. Verse 14, Jesus continues. He says, the sower sows the word. So in other words, he was, he was uh, the parable he was telling is about seed and ground and planting and all these different things. But what he was really teaching them about was words or knowledge or information or specifically the word of God. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path. So here is the first type of ground that Jesus is describing that could describe the soil of our heart as it relates to knowledge. Knowledge coming our way. Words coming our way. And what is the first one? It's a path. Where the word is sown, when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. On the path. Have you ever, you know, gone on a nature walk and on, on the walk there is a pathway and where that pathway is, the ground is all, uh, packed down. And it's sort of impenetrable. And there's maybe um, some things on top of the path, some rocks there, but nothing is getting in the path. And that, what Jesus is describing, is one soil of our heart. When words come our way, basically they just bounce off. They come our way like, no. There's no, there's no room for that seed, that word, that idea, that knowledge to get into my heart. So he's describing a soil of our heart. The first one is the path. And then verse 16, he says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. What's the second soil? Rocky ground. Hear the word, you know, works for a little bit, and then all of a sudden something comes our way, and, and then it's all over. In other words, there's, there's no ability in the soil of your heart for that seed to take root. Verse 18, and the others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those, talking about the seed, who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. In other words, we hear this, these ideas, we hear the knowledge from the word of God, but there's just too many other things going on in my life that the word of God can't actually take root because of this thorny ground, the path, the rocky ground, and then the thorny ground, all of which we know is not conducive to growth. Now, once again, the seed remains the same. The seed is the word of God, the unchangeable word of God, the eternal word of God. So it's not that the seed is not quality. It's not that the knowledge is not quality. A lot of times we just aren't able to hear it. And we could not hear it because a lot of different reasons. But sometimes, as I was saying, it's just kind of pride. I think I know. And if you think you know, you won't listen. I don't actually have to hear But how many know it's important for us to yield to God? 
You know, the scripture says about Jesus that he is our Lord and our Savior. And sometimes that just becomes like a phrase that we say in church, well, you know, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you know that Lord actually means something? It actually means the person who's in charge of your life. The one that we are actually yielding ourselves to, submitting ourselves to. The one who knows about life better than us. The one uh, to whom we should be humbling ourselves. And this is what the scripture is telling us. The word of God is good. It's good seed. It's coming our way. But a lot of times it's just bouncing off our heart and there's, there's no roots. There's no root system for that. You know, to take root in my life and to actually produce positive change so that I can be a fruitful individual. That I can be effective in my life. Let's look at the last ground. But those that were sown on good soil. And this is what we want to be. We want to be good soil for the word of God. And for those of you that do gardening... And I hear rumors about this because my wife does it. But those of you who do gardening, you know that you need dark, rich soil to be able to plant seeds that will grow something. And this is what Jesus is describing as it relates to the word God. We need receptive hearts, humble hearts. I'm not a know-and-all. I don't actually know everything. I actually need God's help. I need God's help for my life. So if I need God's help for my life, I need to have good soil. Because the word is good. Wouldn't you agree that the word of God is good? God's ideas and thoughts, that's that's what are contained in words. His ways are good. I just need to have good soil. But those that are sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. 30 Fold, 60 fold, and a hundred fold. In other words, that that word that I hear, that knowledge that I hear and accept in the areas I need to grow will produce in my life. And it comes through knowledge. It comes through knowledge. Yes, we can have faith in Jesus. We can have our eternity settled. But unless we decide to receive knowledge... We won't grow. We won't change. Our eternity will be set. But we won't be growing in what God wants us to be growing in. We won't be changing in the areas that he wants to change us in if we don't have good soil. Now, as I said in the first service, uh, I I have an add-on verse in the middle of of my message today. And I don't, I know it's for somebody. It might be somebody in the first service or it might be somebody in this service, but either way, this is all extra. So just listen up for a second. It's first Peter chapter five, verse six says this humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, everybody say the proper time, he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. At the proper time. Sometimes, and and this is what I would say about this verse today, is that sometimes people feel like they're stuck. And then they, they get stuck, and then the more stuck they are, the angrier they are. And then the more stuck they are, the angrier they are at life, and then that anger moves itself towards God. And then we kind of think to ourselves, God, I'm doing everything right. 
Why isn't something working for me? Why aren't things changing for me? The scripture says, the first thing it says is to humble yourself. In other words, yield myself. What is it, God, that you want me to change? Because in due time, he's going to do his will in your life. He wants to do his will in your life. The first word, though, in these verses is I got to humble myself. See, we think, God, it's you. Your timing is wrong and your thing is wrong. And this thing that I'm going through, I shouldn't actually be going through this. No, God wants to bring you into the thing that he has for you at the right time, which is usually longer than we would want it to be. It's hard on our flesh to wait. Does anyone discover this? It's hard to wait, isn't it? Do you like waiting? No, and, and the more access that we have to knowledge on our devices and the faster our microwaves get and all of these different things, we want things fast. But God knows what we need when we need it. Our part in the time where we feel like we're stuck is to humble ourselves. Say, God, I, I want to have good soil for the things that you're saying to me. I, I want to stop rejecting the help that you have for me. Forgive me for having a, a stony ground in my heart. I'm going to humble myself to you. And I would say this morning that that attitude of the heart will expedite things for you in your life. Now, I'm not promising you anything by tomorrow or the next day. The point is we can get stuck if we choose to be arrogant. We can get stuck if we think it's everybody else's fault but me. If this person would do this, if my mom would just do this for me, if my husband would just do this for me, if my wife would just do this for me, the scripture says, humble yourself. Come, da- come down off of your wall of perfection. Come on down. None of us can stand on the wall of perfection. So come on down off the wall of perfection and then humble yourself and say, God, That's right. I know, God, that you're not perfect and I'm not. What is it that I need to do today? I humble myself to your word and to your ways so that I can get into the thing that you want me to get into in your timing, not mine. It's all extra. Here we go. Let's continue with the message this morning for somebody today. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's turn over there. Paul is talking about knowledge and that all of us, the potential is when we receive knowledge or hear knowledge or we grow in knowledge, as I was kind of just mentioning, uh, potentially we could become arrogant with your knowledge. Has anyone ever been there? Where you know some stuff and you're like, I know all there is to know. You know, maybe possibly when you were in university, And you wanted to put that university sticker on your car because you wanted everybody to know that you were smart too. So potentially knowledge can puff us up, can make us arrogant. And uh, there's Paul talks about this as he's writing to the Corinthian church. And he's talking about something that we really don't know about. He's talking about food offered to idols. 
And so this whole chapter is discussing this idea. Uh, in Corinth, there was temples and people would go in, they would offer food to idols. And sometimes people would eat that food. And this was kind of problematic for people in this time. They had come from all different backgrounds. And Paul is making the point that an idol, in other words, something that you make and then offer something to it, they really aren't anything. You can't actually build a God. This makes sense, right? We can't carve out a God and then put it up here and then worship it. No, we worship the creator. So Paul is saying really offering to idols is not that big of a deal. But his point is some people have come out of that type of life. They used to be idol worshipers. And now they're in the church. And so if you're just going to go and eat that food offered to idols, it could be, it could be bothersome to that person. Now we would have the knowledge that offering food to idols doesn't actually mean anything. But what we do with that knowledge is very important. This Paul says this. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. In other words, we know something, we understand something. And he says, this knowledge puffs up. In other words, makes us arrogant. But love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know it as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Now back to this idea of relational knowledge. That when we grow in our relationship with God, Paul is saying it's going to issue out in love. This is the marker of a growing relationship with God. It is an outflow of love. Now, we're going to spend time later on in this series specifically talking about love. But the point Paul is making is like, hey, you've got knowledge. Don't let it puff you up. Don't, you know, let it give you the big head. Don't let it uh, make you think that you're better than everybody else and that you know more scripture than anyone else. It's not for that reason. Our relational knowledge with God is supposed to issue with love. It's not supposed to issue with being puffed up or with arrogant. Uh, The writer in Hebrews addresses this same idea. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. It says, about this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. In other words, you can't hear anymore. Not that the information's not going out. Not that the seed is not going out. It's just bouncing off of your dull ears. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. So the writer here of Hebrews is saying that as we grow in our relationship with God, what is it supposed to move us towards? It's supposed to move us towards being able to teach someone else. Not just to say, I know more than somebody else. And I, and I have this portion of scripture memorized. It's good to memorize scripture. But we don't memorize scripture to belittle someone who can't or doesn't memorize scripture. The writer is saying that we would know these things. We would know these basic things so that we could teach someone else. You need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. Not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now if you've been in church any period of time. You have heard somebody say. You know uh, I, I, just, I just don't eat 
the milk of the word of God. I have the meat of the word of God. I don't listen to that teacher because they just serve up milk. And I'm so, I'm so, I'm just so far beyond milk that I, I, I only eat meat, the meat from the word of God. And such and such a preacher, I just want to let you know, he serves up the meat of the word. This is not what this is for. It's not to make us arrogant or big shots. The writer is actually saying, you think you know, but you don't actually know. You should know so that you should be teaching someone else. And then the thing he says at the end of this section is that so that you would be practicing it, doing it. The scripture says the doer of the word is blessed. It's not the one who knows the word who can put other people down who don't know the word. No, when we know the word, when we know the scripture, we're supposed to be teaching other people. And then doing it ourselves, practicing it. There's nowhere in there where we're supposed to be arrogant that we just eat the meat. We need the milk of the word. We need the meat of the word. We need the carbs of the word. We need the protein of the word. It's just an analogy, people. That we would be growing up in our relationship with God. And like Paul said, knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. So as we grow in our relationship with God, and I'm so glad that we can continue to grow in our relationship with God. None of us have arrived. And this is the beauty of following Jesus. That more and more every day we can remember and and have a revelation of the love of God, of the grace of God, of the forgiveness of God. Of God's healing power for my life, God's helping power in my life. And I haven't seen it all yet. I am finite. God is infinite. He is the transcendent creator of the universe. How dare I say that I know it all? How dare I think I know it all? The joy is that I can continue to grow and I can know him more and more every day. Puts a smile on my face. It doesn't, it's not a stagnant way to live. But you can only get there if you don't think you know it all. If you can humble yourself. See, and this, what, this is what God wants us to do with his word. That he wants us to have a relationship with him through his word. Not just no principles and ideas and promises. Those are all good things. But that we would actually have a relationship with God through his word. John Chapter 5, Jesus says this here in these verses. Verse 37, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now, who is Jesus talking to? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the doctors of the law, the people who have the word of God at the time. They've got it memorized. And what is Jesus saying? You don't actually know it. They're like, what? What do you mean we don't know it? Jesus, we have the word memorized. We are the dispensers of the word. But Jesus is telling them, you don't actually know the word. 
Because what does the word teach us about? The word teaches us about the one whom he has sent. Who did God send? Jesus. See, we can't turn our relationship with God into just information. Just knowledge about personalities. Like I described to you my wife. Some of you know my wife and have met her and talked to her. And others of you, you maybe haven't, but you know she's from Arizona and you know she's artistic and you know she's beautiful. Right? Come on, get with me this morning. I'm trying to get brownie points. And you know she's beautiful. But unless you know her, that's just information. That's not what we want to do with the word of God. He says, you know the word, but you don't actually know God. You don't actually know me. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. A relationship with God issues out in our lives, not church services. God wants you to have a relationship with him because he wants you to help you to live all of the time. When we know God better, life is better. It makes a difference to know God. Not just know the word. Oh, I actually know the word so that I can know God. John 17, last verse, verse 3 says this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What is eternal life? Is it, is it doing this religious practice? Is it doing this ceremonial thing? Is it getting in the right denomination? Getting in with the right group? Is that what eternal life is? No, eternal life, the God kind of life, is that you that we would know God. Relational. It's knowledge that becomes relational knowledge. That I would spend time in the word of God, not for religious purposes. Not to prove to my friends how much Bible I can read. Or to prove to God how much Bible I can read. No, I spend time in the word of God so that I can know God. Jesus says this is eternal life. Knowledge becomes personal. It's then powerful. And God wants to show up in our lives in powerful ways. Powerful, real, tangible ways. In those times, we don't actually know what to do. We're confused that God wants to show up in the middle of that moment. When we are up at night with our baby and no one else is there and you're frustrated and you're exhausted. In that moment, God wants to show up in a powerful way and give you strength in the middle of a marriage that seems too far gone. God wants to show up 
in personal and powerful ways and give you a way out, not out of your marriage, but a way out of the problem. A way out of the difficulty, a way out of the struggle. Let's just pray this morning. God, we thank you for your word today. God, we want to know and have your ways for our lives. God, those areas where we've been avoiding the seed that you have tried to sow in our hearts, we pray, Lord, that you forgive us. Those changes, Lord, that we have been avoiding, those things that we know that we need to do, that you've been speaking to us about, that you have been showing us. God, today I choose to have a good soil for your thoughts and for your ways for my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.